0: Camera, don't laugh like I might try I try, try oh, I, not I to would
1: never laugh. laugh anybody, anybody, anybody Don't you worry, worry. Don't worry <laughs> about that. <Except laughs> that oh,
0: I, I know who, who you, I, you I know your face word word now you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Get the little scarpy bollocks and work <laughs> put in complaint. I
0: have to say he's an extremely good. I know him now, he's extremely good at what he does. Oh.
2: Wow. That the podcaster serving really food really is
0: good at serving food. He's good at the podcast too.
2: Three, two, mental this is the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where it does exactly what it says on the tin. You've seen the name of it there, you've probably seen the artwork there. This is what we do, we straight talk mental health. Why do we do that? We're trying to break the stigma, we're trying to have conversations that people aren't having, we're trying to stop loads of men from fucking killing themselves, we're trying to encourage women to have the conversations with men, men with men, women with women, everyone with everyone. We share stories, we share experience and hopefully we can model some conversations for other people around mental health. So hopefully we can all live a little bit happier and be happier in our own heads because you never know what's going on in someone else's head. This week on the show we are talking to Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie is going to come on and she's going to talk about her experience of being a birth mother. What's a birth mother? Obviously every mother is a birth mother I hear you saying, but this is from the point of view of someone who gave a child up for an adoption we may need to offer a little bit of a trigger warning on this subject it is very sensitive we are coming at this from the point of view of ireland i'm not going to say what year because you're going to find out and being forced to give up a child the shame etc that goes along with all of that an unmarried mother and we are absolutely blessed to have Marie come on and share her story with us before we get into that my name is Alan Clark. I am a psychotherapist. My degree is in counseling and psychotherapy. My master's is in child and adolescent psychotherapy. You're probably not going to know it from the stuff that's going to come out in my mouth over the next hour and a half or so. But I do know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it isn't really going to be apparent in the first half of this episode. But sometimes I, I drop some knowledge. Help me drop knowledge is my firstborn male heir, Mr Cameron Clark, journalism student still. We can get into that a little bit later on, Cammy. How are you doing? A long
1: ass intro. That was a long ass intro. You really,
2: just kept going.
1: <laughs> I was kind of. I a, did.
2: I was freestyling. Yeah, I was just yeah, no, on top know, of the dome.
1: I was straight up the you, head. Went, you kind of did the template and then just kept going. That's it, man. It's just the moment just
2: took me over. You know,
1: I was just I just got caught we up in are the moment. Very and It was like a podcast. Market. I do have to say.
2: <laughs> Run with it, just you know, because yeah, same same yeah. one every week
1: is a bit boring. Mix it, mix it up a little bit, you know. Yeah, but how, how are people supposed 60, to say the intro along with us if, they, if you fucking change it every week? Well, if they're sitting at home like, oh, I but can't wait to talk the intro. Oh, this is it. Yeah. This is my go. Now this is straight yeah. talking uh, mental health. Did you Where just freestyling? Straight
2: talk it? mental health. They're sitting there. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, they're like, whoa, the skills. Like, this
1: is fucking bullshit. It's
2: just. Yeah, bullshit man give me some give me fucking i want predictability <laughs> god damn it you're the autistic bastard you're the one that's not supposed to like change you're going very give me what i fucking expect goddammit! yeah
1: <laughs> do we have a brand we well you're autistic dope. that's your brand yeah. that, that's my brand yeah. yeah 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 not me for
2: everyone that's it's like yeah and it's like you know just in case you didn't know and then someone hears that and it's
1: like uh we almost right, we almost have I to warn it. everybody at the start of every episode now. Alan <laughs> yeah. is in fact autistic. This is a
2: straight talking mental health podcast. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm autistic and Asperger's yeah. as fuck. <laughs> so when you hear it and go, yeah, oh, all right. Yeah. How did you not fucking know for
1: 44 <laughs> years? <laughs> everybody else knew and not you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: what's been going on with a young man well like you mentioned before i am officially a student again thank god
2: yeah i think i think i could have had to cut it out last week because last week we had a very long yeah. episode we we'll get into that as we go along um just before we recorded last week we were on we were just getting ready to hit the record button you got, I an, got email. an
1: email from my college so like most students mm. in ireland we Do hadn't that? we hadn't gotten any updates about what when we're the going f- to what's college. that about like yeah. This, is, this, this is just my college to kind of reiterate this, this oh, is everyone like in the everyone. country. Most students have only started to hear about when they're going back to college in the last 10 days or so. So I hadn't heard anything as we were sitting down to record with myself, Alan and Peter, and I got an email from the college to say my class might be cancelled because of a number of dropouts or people not continuing with their final year. Don't know why.
2: A few people had some concerns around COVID or being That's back on campus. That's my kind of or-
1: thing around it was my course was very easily done at home because it's, it's a journalism course mm. you just do a lot of writing there's no practical classes we were sent microphones mm. for anything that needed practicing with that we were sent all the software we needed for editing so it was very easily done at home so everyone kind of had you know the easy way of college you get up you got out of bed at nine o'clock you sit in your classes you don't have to travel you don't have to get up you don't have to look good yeah. you just sit there you you, you wouldn't have that problem because, of course, yeah, you absolutely. always look good.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's like this is the yeah. cross you carry.
1: Exactly. It's, it's a burden, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, someone, someone has, has to do it. But it was very <laughs> easy for my particular course being a home. So my kind of way of thinking it was people are back on campus now. They don't want to be back on campus. So they think, right, Well, we ha- at least have a diploma now. It's going to get somewhere. So there's no need to go ahead with this. Now, I don't know if that's yeah. the case, but that's kind of what I was getting from it. But last week, I did get, well, I suppose supposed to be this week for us recording. Yeah, it'll be last mm. week for people listening, but I did get the go-ahead for my college course. So, I am a student again for one more year. <laughs> as far as everyone else is concerned, thought you were a student yeah.
2: how long? What happened? <laughs> but in in between last week and this week. I was not, uh, and again, uh, things, was a things student. Things changed. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly was yeah. not a student. And Confirmed. Then- was a is student. a student
1: yeah
2: so cameron will be completing yeah. his degree this year thank god yeah how are you feeling oh, I'm about terrified.
1: that? i yeah. i don't like when things are out, outside my control i have to know what's yeah, going yeah. on this this <laughs> is kind of my my big flaw i don't stress out very often but when something gets out of my control i really stress out so mm. i kind of I needed this to go my way my whole life's done in a routine and I can't have that waiver.
2: Thankfully, thankfully. But it's all changed. Your evenings this year, this even year in or... college this
1: year, which was going to be a problem considering I'm a barman that works nights. But me and myself and work came yeah. to a, an arrangement that works both of us, which works for both of us, which has me still it's working.
2: Like, you've, you've been bitching about them over the last couple of weeks. Like, fuck this shit. I'm not fucking going back to all that shit. Fucking fuck. Yeah, which I don't and... have to do
1: anyway. God damn it! I'm getting a new job. Yeah, but I don't have to do that now because I'm what not working nights nice anymore. Yeah. There or God. weekends. Or weekends. Or weekends. Get yeah. the fuck. We're on the week before I go to college. So. Jesus. Yeah. Problem there? though, you going to miss out on the tips? Uh, I can live without like I can live without them since considering i actually going to work. Because you're a fucking. Well, no, going or, to work. Like wonder, I'm going to work now.
2: <laughs> I I only work here now for like you know <laughs> just something to do. <laughs> they don't even pay me.
1: Just just for just for <laughs> appearances.
2: Nigel, I'm coming in. Um, we haven't got the money to pay it, so okay. I'm <laughs> going to pay you for the privilege
1: <laughs> yeah well it was either lose out on tips or try find somewhere else to work so we yeah. can to an arrangement that works for both of us
2: they appreciated you you yeah. stepped up
1: good uh, well look now this is the first time ever I've had weekends off so kind of my mm-hmm. midweek now is going to be fairly
2: no Sunday no Sunday
1: morning breakfast in the silken it won't no, be up. probably not well it could still come up could go out, might be able Just to go breakfast. out. Actually, go out on a Saturday. <laughs> Can you believe it?
2: What? <laughs> Drink yeah. in the pub, have yeah. someone else serve you.
1: But no, so my my midweeks now would be fairly hectic, and, but it means having guaranteed time off every week, which is not something I would be particularly used to. So I'm still a student, a student.
2: Work more sociable hours. Yeah,
1: it's actually actually sociable like, that hours. That sounds, now. That
2: sounds good. Mm. That's, that's,
1: that sounds like a pretty uh, good week. It worked out It was a very stressful Four Mm. days I was uh, Kind of between deciding What I was going to do With college And then What I was going to do With work Mm. Because the last two weeks have been like Fuck that Well that's kind of It wasn't more Fuck that job It was more Fuck them hours hours, (laughs) The hours didn't work for me I was in college (laughs) In the evenings (laughs) Fuck going back to 4am I knew I was going to be In college in the evenings anyway So bar work
2: How come it's in the evenings What's that about
1: I don't really question it I just go
2: Ours is not the reason why. Ours is what to do or die. But like
1: knowing that bar hours wouldn't have suited me anyway, because I'm in college in yeah, so like fair play. What's been going on with you anyway? What's
2: been going on with me? Not much. Get over game of golf this morning. Oh yeah,
1: how'd it go? So
2: actually, pretty well. Not Well, and this is the fucking. Nah, I did a lot of. have uh, been at the physio. I've been doing a lot of exercises. Um, like I said, I'm always in it kind of constant state of discomfort. Uh sometimes I'm in pain. Usually I'm stiff and in discomfort. Um but I've just been stretching as much as possible. So I went down played alright. Yeah it was I was like and then I was saying to Brendan I was like, what the fuck? Like last day I couldn't hit a ball and I'm i after having three pars in a row like and that's just like such an infuriating mm-hmm. game. Like but it's that difference of when you're relaxed, you know you're not stressing you are just we're just hacking it out. Oh, see where it goes see where it goes and the the biggest problem for me is the pressure i put on myself like because and and i've always said it to the boys like i've never not been Mm. good at something (laughs) whenever i set my mind to something Mm. i achieve it and whether that's the autism or that's just a fucking bullheadedness in me like you know it started out i wanted to be a dj i became a dj i wanted to play a nightclub that i went i played the nightclub that i went up in temple bar music center I wanted to do a, a set on part of the radio that I listened to. I did that. After that, I started rapping. Got to support a lot of my favorite rappers. It was on Today FM. Was on 2FM. Was on TV. And achieved that. Everything. Everything I've set my mind to. Like, you can't you know, crack was,
1: that's, where, that's where the line no, is drawn. Even,
2: the, even that's it. But even the professionals can't. But I have to like it's that kind of case of having to remind yourself of God the professionals can't mm. even do it. Like They can go out there and have a bad round and have bad shots. and But it's such a psychological game. Like, you know, so once you get in your own head and then you're frustrated and obviously you're stressed and your body is tense and you're not swinging the club the way you need to. And that perpetuates the whole thing. And, you know, so normally what I would do is I'd get into a fucking strop with myself. Mm. Like I would kind of hit my ball and I'd fucking walk off. I'm usually walking off to the right hand side where the ball <laughs> is sliced. The boys are walking up the middle of the fucking fairway. So I'm, Fucking kicking the shit on myself in my own head, and I go off, and that'll go on for about two holes or so. I'll have a chat with myself, and then I come back, and then I'm I'm grand <laughs> again. <laughs> so, uh, but today I was just ah, fucking pinging it down the middle, and just playing great, great shots, and it's nice to um, nice to be able to get over round, see what I'm like tomorrow, if I'm able to walk. That'll be that'll be the real test. And i used to not feeling nice pain on
1: the day? Of it. it is normally just the day after that kicks in.
2: Well, no, like I said, I'm usually, any given day, I'm in a mm. discomfort, you know, um, and I have a fairly high pain threshold when it comes to back pain. But the last time after I played, I was like, well, I played fucking shit and now
1: I am in. And that was immediately mix. after, not the <laughs> next day. All right. That was, yeah, and that you know, was the, night, that was the that next now. day
2: and a couple of days afterwards. No, I'm f- feeling okay, I don't know, so, so hopefully i alright. So, so I think that that's about as much as I've been up to during the week. Um, we had Billy hmm. on last week. Billy McGinnis from Aslan. What to make Billy it ask a lot? Billy talks a lot. <laughs> people, people that don't know, if you listen to last week's episode, as you know, at the end of every episode, as well um, as well, do at the end of her episodes and everyone's episodes, we offer to ask them to offer words of wisdom, life advice, stuff like that. Sometimes people give you three or four sentences, and they're like, bang, short and sweet. Sometimes people may give you about three or four minutes. After we did that, Billy's ball for another mm. 40 minutes. <laughs> so I had to edit the podcast and go, okay, I need, how can I, where can I finagle this bit in here so I can just still end the podcast on the words I of would Western. like to apologize <laughs>
1: so. to my supporters in our stand against longer episodes. It really was not, was not my best work.
2: That was that was that no, wasn't on us. No, man. that wasn't. Yeah. No, it wasn't on was not me. They don't to support you. Always. They
1: support me. Let's just let's just get get that right here. Let's
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll see what some people have to say about that. Look, I've said it yeah, I always I'm always trying to aim around the mm. ninety minute mark. Operate within that circadian rhythm. So that's I like that kind of I like that kind of piece. Yeah, you know, kind of half an hour for self, yeah. an hour for a guest. But Billy talk, just talk, Billy talked. Talk. Billy talked, man. But and she no, couldn't stop him. Like, it the was it was
1: really good. It's just we 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 definitely veered anxious. off the mental health.
2: Well, there, there, there was there was three interviews that took place last week, which is why it was probably very long. Peter, so for people that don't know, and he fucking gave out about it last week. We need to give him credit for mm. co-creating the podcast because <laughs> he got snippy At last episode. Week. Myself and Peter, myself and Peter started the podcast. Two former rappers, friends. We went on to start the podcast. Peter got busy on work. He did 50 episodes. I had to kind of go, well, look, see out of 50. Because it's a nice round number, and I like that kind of stuff. Michelle stepped in for a while, and then we got herself in. Um, so if you don't know Peter, Peter jumps on every so often when he can. It's kind of random. And he, he jumped on last week. Peter was a radio producer and DJ on, on Midland Radio on LMFM. Peter's been out of our game for a long time on a mental mm-hmm. health podcast because Peter was in pure radio DJ correct, with, with his questions. You come in journalist mode, asking him about the Linda Martin incident, and I come in like fucking Danny the Downer, having to go about the impact on mental well, health. Mine... <laughs> and I'm, I'm having to constantly bring it down. So there was three different interviews going on last week. I was like, this is a mental health podcast. I need to bring
1: something back My to mental My section health. of the interview was supposed to go down the mental health route. But uh, didn't get the chance to get that question in because Billy just kept going. <laughs> yeah, he was. It was uh, I was supposed to ask about oh, Linda you know and Louis Walsh and then kind of ask how we felt about it. <laughs> didn't yeah. get that opportunity.
2: No, he just goes <laughs> off on tangents. Just where? just goes off on <laughs> tangents, yeah. Um, but uh, for anyone who hasn't heard, Billy McGuinness from, from Aslan, Aslan 1 of Ireland. How long, do you know how long Aslan are on the go?
1: Oh, shit, how long did he say? Oh, for 40 years. Oh, my God. 40 Did you years,
2: not, yeah. yeah. there you go. I was like, you didn't fucking listen back yeah. because he said it about 20 years. times. Well, 40 years. The next, but a next great year's interview. 40 years, yeah? yeah? Next year's 40. Too. No, it is. It's yeah. a very it's a long yeah, interview, but it,
1: it is very good, I would suggest everyone go listen yeah. to Yeah. Maybe Absolutely in a few seconds. talk
2: about being dropped, dropped by two different labels, mm. the impact that has on mental health. Uh, Christy Dignam, the lead singer, his heroin addiction mm. over the years, uh, the impact that had on the band, his cancer now, not knowing if they're going to get the to tour mm. again because uh, Christy has been so sick, you know, f- fear that you know he could have died and they wouldn't get to they wouldn't get the to tour again. Um, and then some, just some great stories about being on the road of the relationship with U two, recording mm. songs with Sinead O'Connor, Bono's relationship with Christy, visiting him when he had cancer and stuff like that. Um, it was a it was a fascinating, fascinating thing. It is a long one, not not. Little longer than we usually like, but when you're getting goals like that, it's like
1: whether whether it's mental <laughs> health or not, you kinda of have to
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Th- yeah. Think of the great or good. The thing the thing that struck me was just he's mm. so passionate Absolutely. about music. Still, you know, forty years and obviously he listened to music before he was in a band. But he's still like, you know, and he's just giving props to all the Irish artists that are out there now, you know, he's not just flogging the Aslan mm. horse, like, you know, he's just you can just he just loved it. And and to listen to him was 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 a mm. lovely thing. Um so yeah, it was uh, we were very grateful and, and, and Billy gave up a lot of time, you know, to come on. Didn't know us, didn't know us anything, but just a genuinely really, really mm. nice guy. Um and, and very grateful to, to Billy. If you could share the podcast episode, Billy, that'd be <laughs> fucking great. <laughs>
1: that that might be a as, good segue for is, uh, uh social media drop
2: nice one well, well done well done Cameron you, you, you did that yeah if you want to check us out on social media or where to find a podcast you know where to find a podcast because you're listening to it uh, if you want to check us out on, on social media you can do that on Instagram on Facebook if you want to get us on Twitter that's stmhpodcast similar to our website www.stmhpodcast.com if you've got a story to tell if you've got feedback around the any of the episodes if you've got a topic you'd like it to cover then you just need to email us at that and that's hello at stmhpodcast.com if you're listening on iTunes, you can give ratings. You can hit subscribe, follow. I think there's a new thing on Spotify now, isn't it? You can follow a you can follow on Spotify, but now you get a notification when there's That's a new episode released. I, so. I
1: listen on Apple Podcasts. No,
2: so. oh dear. Well, make sure and rate the fucking Well, a- episode, Apple Podcast <laughs> gives notifications <laughs>
1: anyway. I thought that I thought that was like oh, a common well, thing. Well, I
2: think no, maybe. Well, I always followed podcasts on on Spotify, and I um, never, never maybe gave I just you a didn't hit the notification right. yeah well, get on, on apple podcast like
1: anyway it's by default
2: yeah well if, if you haven't done that you can do that follow us on on any of those and don't be afraid to reach out to us many of our many of our guests that have been on have been listeners to the podcast they've got a story to tell and their story always resonates with someone else and it always inspires someone else to come on and tell their story and Anne marie has been inspired to tell her story to help everyone else in the world so that's the, that's the social media plug. Uh, we had a little bit of correspondence this week. And one of those people who reached out was Rachel. She, she popped us an email. i only seen it recently, Rachel, unfortunately, because for some reason it went into a spam folder um, on our email, which is something very unusual. So, hi, Alan. I've listened to your podcast for a few months now, and I really do enjoy it. I like when you talk your day-to-day stuff. Here you go, Cam. I like when you talk your day-to-day stuff. What you've been doing is really down to earth and have some brilliant topics each week. I have found the podcast interesting, full of information and different people's experiences. I've had my ups and downs myself with lack of confidence and loneliness and burnout. And it's nice to listen to other people's experiences. I currently am a support worker for mental health. I've been doing this for just five years now and I love it. I've done small courses that are free with relating to mental health. I'm currently saving up to do my level two counseling course, which I would love to have a career in one day. Guys, keep up the good work. Regards, Rachel. There you go. Everything we've just said. Ratel just covered it We have these topics Some people aren't always interested in every topic And they're just listening to have the little bit of crack And listening on us Some people listen to this bit they don't listen to the other bit They, listen to, the other bit, they listen to the other bit They don't listen to this bit So we're you know, we're trying to mm. keep as many people happy We're just trying to do it light hearted We're trying to do it as conversationally as possible Um, Because if you listen to a mental health podcasts They're usually fucking minus yeah. crack The,
1: the interviews to tend to be right to a knock, knock a, a bit, bit of crack less... over it crack and we try to keep it going in the interviews but usually the crack comes from the our own piece at the start
2: yeah yeah so informal and informative Mm. is something i've always tried to it's something i've always tried to push with with the podcast so thank you very much rachel best of luck in your studies you are choosing to work in a very difficult field. um, And the best of But if an autistic person can do it, so so can you. (laughs) (laughs) If I can do (laughs) it, so can you. (laughs) Sabrina really enjoyed last week's episode. She dropped us a comment on Facebook. Great, really great listen. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Sabrina. Do give a comment on those Facebook posts if you see them, folks, because they will show up on someone else's timeline as you see it when someone, one of
1: your friends comments on something. And that helps people see it. The uh, difficulty, and we talk about it every week, the difficulty of trying to share a podcast on social media. There isn't a social mm-hmm. media site that's very friendly towards podcasts unless you are forking out no. a lot of money.
2: Yeah. So here, here's a little insight into what that looks like. And look, I know, oh my God, he's fucking going on Yeah, about it's not it like again. we go
1: on about it every week.
2: Uh, yeah. Like, it gets so disheartening. So I think we've got about 1,200 followers, 1,200 and something followers on Facebook. The reason we don't have more is like, because there's no fucking point. Facebook limits whenever we put up a post. So I need a quote post, the videos, the preview posts that we put up. Facebook limits that. So, for example, and this is just a kind of an average of the last couple of posts that have gone up. So out of that on Facebook, out of that, I think it's about 1,250 followers or something like that. Here is a breakdown. And this is the difference. So here is a post with no shares. People reached 59. Facebook post with no shares. People reached 54. Facebook page with no shares, people reached 82, and that's because someone commented on it. Just one one difference here then. Facebook post two shares, 284 mm. people reached. That's 250, 284 people, which is basically like a thousand less.
1: Than our follower count. Than yeah. The followers that
2: we actually have. Uh, Sixty-nine, two sixty. The shares, the shares boosted up about and what i'm seeing about 100 or 150 that's obviously their algorithm uh two shares there and something 361 people so that's why we asked you to do it folks podcast isn't costing you anything it's costing us on our end that's then that's why we mm. that's why we do it so big thanks to rachel for for emailing us thanks to Sabrina for checking out uh for our feedback on last week's one we also had someone you will know tom Uh, an old friend of mine he'd obviously been listening back to uh, a couple of episodes where oh it was obviously the one about you getting your first car and we got into a little bit of a topic about our first cars i think when peter was on he had an open course as well and i said mine was a, a mazda 121 tom tom sent a message through instagram the mazda 121 with the speakers remember the coolio show in the old pine depot We Brought DJ Lee to Ballyer after the show and thought we were about to break down. Love that car, lad. The stereo, the memories. I don't remember any of that. So,
0: yeah, in
1: fairness, your memory is quite poor.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what has, and it was evident last week as well as Peter shared a story again. What has become quite clear is you know, there can be a lot of memory issues around autism. And as Peter goes, you must remember this, you must remember that. In fact, did not. I remembered absolutely zero of it, as I remembered absolutely zero of that. Tom informs me I got the shift off someone that night, though, so you. I don't know. <laughs> I know, yeah. Apologies to that person. Uh, maybe they did leave a last impression, but maybe not strong enough. But let's just put it down to my bad memory. <laughs> but thanks for letting me kiss you anyway, whoever you were. <laughs> it was greatly appreciated. <laughs> Throw a dog a bone. <laughs> <laughs> that is our social media feedback. That is our social media plug. What we like to do now is we like to get into a couple of smiles and riles, things that have made us smile, things that have got us riled during the week. Do you have either a smile or a rile for me first? Um,
1: we need to stop doing this. We end up talking about my smiles kind of before we get into the smiles and riles. We do it every week. Oh, the fact that I am a student again, I was. Uh... Yeah,
2: but you got to hold back, man. You got to go.
1: You know, go. I'll get into that a
2: little bit later on in the smiles. Just do what that. We
1: re- oh, well, I was going to say we're keeping it on the edge of the seat, but we took it out of last week's episode. So that kind of yeah, took that. Yeah.
2: Trying to fucking take something out yeah. of last week. Well, no, that is my smile. <laughs> I
1: was very stressed out kind of waiting for a go-ahead. or mm.
2: What were you going to do? What, I, what were you going I to do know. if I didn't
1: go ahead? really had no idea. That's kind of what I spent the four days trying to figure out and night. Because they had told us we'd find out more on Monday. So the kind of four mm. days when we were... In between waiting, because I was off last week, so it kind of made it worse if I was working, I would have been able to take my mind off it. But for those mm-hmm. four days, I was kind of just sitting there thinking, right, what am I going to do? And then waiting for hopefully an early email, which which didn't come. It came on the mm-hmm. Monday after, but it was very stressful so for weeks. Week. No, No, I can't, it, no, cause I think it was the Thursday. So it was Thursday to Monday was the wait between the email we got saying the class might be cancelled and then. The class going ahead, so it's a smile now. So some relief oh, for you Jesus, this week, yeah, tremendous amount. And then just yeah, and you just yeah, we get getting work sorted as well is definitely definitely a smile. Mm-hmm.
2: So basically, you blew your load. Everything is about to start. Much.
1: I don't think. Well, my royal <laughs> kind of have a royal Adina going back to England. I don't know All if right. it's really a royal, mm. more just. Yeah, it was nice to see everybody again. It's been so long since we've seen them. So it was Mm. just nice to see them. So I suppose you could call it a rile, them going back. Enjoyed having her over? Did you grow up to anything? There was a lot of going out for food. It was a very expensive week, (laughs) which we talked about last week Mm. as well. Not even like just from doing anything, just from eating, going out for breakfast and lunch (laughs) and dinner. And it Mm. it adds up when you're not cooking. It really (laughs) um, (laughs) pokes a hole in your wallet very quickly. Mm. but thankfully that's done now good stuff so that's kind of my smiles and royals I don't think I have any other ones I think I'm 2-1 I think that's a good way to go this week
2: <laughs> for anyone just checking out Cameron is on this mission of keeping the smiles and royals even <laughs> <laughs> he's he's trying to stay as balanced yeah. as possible and I remind you that I am the autistic one yeah. well, not him
1: <laughs> and what about that should be me yeah, well. <laughs> You know, so maybe some maybe some autistic features you don't have. I need to take. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I I would know know get bit, the whole I'm experience. Like a bit of uh, keep everything neat <laughs> and tidy. Yeah. yeah. And what about yourself? Smiles and or riles.
2: My smiles and or rile. My first rile is I had so many notes recorded from last week's episode. So I keep uh, Google Keep on my app on my phone, just little app that you can keep notes and stuff like that. I fucking deleted it all, and all my smiles and royals and everything I wanted to talk about was gone off. See, this is why I
1: wing it every week. <laughs> so I just so that if my notes that I don't take get deleted, I don't have to worry about it because I know I can wing it.
2: Yeah, I can always, I can always wing it. But
1: yeah, I'm gonna,
2: I'm having, I'm having to freestyle mm. this one as well to try and remember, try and remember what it was. Well, the for, first one anyway is, it's a twofer. It's a, it's a bit of a smile oh, I like and like They're they're my
1: favorite.
2: The, yeah, yeah, the yin and the yang, the, the you know the good and the they bad balance the bad themselves. I watched the new Schumacher documentary the one on Netflix. Um on Netflix, yeah. Do you remember Schumacher being my idol when you were I growing do. up? You do, yeah. Michael Schumacher was was an idol of mine as I as I was growing up and um just watching that just watching the documentary. Um and one of one of my greatest Formula 1 memories is the two thousand season, the last race of the season, when Michael Schumacher won his first championship for Ferrari, you were in bed. Your mother was in bed. Your sister was in bed because the Japanese Grand Prix is usually on before or five o'clock in the morning. So I was up sitting in the sitting room on my own. Schumacher wins the race, and I'm up going because yeah, 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 <laughs> I couldn't fucking shout because you were still in bed asleep. <laughs> so it it, remind, it reminded me of that time. Uh, and obviously then the royal in that is Michael and Michael Schumacher's accident. And the family are quite private, his wife Corinna. Their their relationship is actually quite lovely. Um, you know, the affection the the they held for each other and Michael was always very private of, of their life. And at the end of the documentary says, you know, Michael, Michael protected us for years and we have to we have to protect mm. him now. So they've never they've never come out and said how he is. He's still alive. To what extent, we, mm. we don't know, you know, whether he's you know, paraplegic, quadriplegic, you know, mm. we don't know, um, verbal, nonverbal. Um, we have no idea. Um, and obviously the, the, the motto around that is keep fighting, Michael. Um, and there's a foundation and stuff set up around that. So, it was, you know, it was to see the man and he has, you know, without his controversies and stuff like that in his career. Um, but one of one of the interesting things and you know a couple of weeks ago I mentioned around Jean Todd Jean Todd we didn't get on the pod uh, former head of Ferrari talking about his anxiety and you know um, throughout his life and never been happy in, in, a, in a Formula One interview one of the things he said around Michael was that uh, you know Michael was very shy Michael was very timid uh, he was speaking in French but he was timid <laughs> and then it was translated as shy uh, into subtitles and yeah. People wouldn't think that won't make a marker. People think he'd be because very arrogant. Superstar athlete. He compensated. No, he was just he was compensating for that shyness and that timidness. Um that to protect himself he just you know, he put on that persona. Um, he always he always enjoyed a private life and he hated, you know, the media side of Formula One. He just wanted to, to drive cars. Drive the car, win championships and then fuck mm. off with his family like. Um, and but that was that was lovely to see. I can't remember the other smiles <laughs> and royals that I had. Oh oh, I got I remembered one of them. I just remembered it. I need to get a theme song. Dun, 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 dun. It's time for Ashling's insult of the <laughs> week. <laughs> this has been an ongoing thing over the couple of weeks where my loving girlfriend, believe it or not, hits me with a fucking zinger that I'm like, that's a great one. Like I you know got to give you props on that one. So I mentioned it briefly again. I can't even remember if I cut it out last week, and I don't think I did. Um, and get one of the aura no, rings. That, that was in it. a smart ring. That yeah, that was in it. Yeah, so it measures your sleep patterns, you know, well, your, your different uh, stages of sleep and stuff like that, and temperature and stuff and all of that. Send Ashley, I got one of them. I was also sent Ashley as I was eating my dinner uh, before I went down back down to the office. Um, I was like, oh, fuck it anyway. I'm after dropping past on my top, so obviously that's ruined. And then two minutes later, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm out there dropping the fork on the cushion. And I dropped fucking red sauce on my top yesterday. She's like, you don't need a ring. You need a bib. (laughs) I was like, that is entirely accurate. So that is this week's Ashling's Insult of the Week. You almost lost that one there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I just remembered it. My other royal, back onto Netflix again. Is pray away. I Have you seen I it? I've never even heard of it. Pray away is about these Christian fundamentalists in conversion therapy in the states who tell people they can pray away yeah, of being gay. I know
1: the conversion.
2: Yeah. And they were out for anyone that doesn't conversion therapy, everyone in the psychological field has come out and went, This is fucking damaging. You it's need to stop this. You bullshit. can't stop being gay. You can't pray away mm. the gay. Um, but they were having, he was wheeling these people out. I was an active member in the homosexual community for 10 years. And now I'm married to Janice. Janice comes on. I was a homosexual. I was an active in for six years. And now we have. Da, 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 da. But you were still fucking going out. Your man was still going out and you know, getting caught in gay bars and stuff like that. Like, But these are people that fucking bred mm. self hatred. You know, even like even today, and this is going back to, I think it was maybe the 90s or the noughties. You know, even today coming out you know being gay admitting it to yourself admitting to your loved ones a little easier but still not standard Mm. practice and then these are kind of coming out well gay being gay is a sin you need fucking jesus and i think at the very start of it there is the campest fucking guy going on about how he's not gay anymore as i okay um so that really had me fucking riled the damage and a million percent there's people killed and dead who have you know died at their own hand through that Mm. self-loathing and thinking that there's something wrong with them because of their religious beliefs and what's been and what's been put on i've
1: always been very anti-religion just in general not 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 just christian and i'm I'm not shy about it and you'll you'll kind of hear in our in our interview with anne-marie which we, yeah. we did pre-record and that's how we know to kind of give the trigger warning because even us ourselves were, yeah we, we struggled throughout the interview, even just listening to it. But you, you kind yeah. of hear it come out with me as well, that I am very against all forms of religion, but especially Catholicism and just some of the beliefs that people have towards the gay community and abortions and the whole their whole, yeah, okay, their whole belief system is ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Look, we're not... That's our mm. personal beliefs. Your personal belief, you believe in religion and you get some good about it. Brilliant. I've always been fond of, you know, having having religion is like having a dick. It's okay to have one. It's not okay to go mm-hmm. around waving it and shoving it down everyone else's throat. If you take some good from, from religion, and a lot of people do, mm. we want to, want to clarify that, we have a different... Attitude toward religion In Ireland
1: We were Dominated by it Fucking ruled
2: And dominated absolutely By the Catholic Church For very, very long Up until 20 the years that, ago Oh what are you on about Should they were still Fucking fighting When the repeal Yeah the was No but I mean To the point where It was it ruled the entire
1: country But now There's a, there's a yeah, lot more people yeah. Nowadays coming out Against it Especially yeah. people my age Are Yeah Kind of just don't believe In religion yeah. anymore yeah. yeah
2: because you 'cause you weren't brought yeah. up with the dogmatism yeah. of it that that even in my even my yeah. generation was. Um so I was raised Catholic and I did. So I went kind of abandoned organized religion and still had a belief in God and then I questioned all of that. And now I am an atheist or mm. non-theist, whichever whichever one, a Buddhist, but also a non-theist because the the Buddha isn't a god. That's why we give the trigger warning around the episode because a lot of a lot of harm has been done around that a lot of people the mother and baby homes the only time i've cried on this podcast was the babies mm. in june um uh, when we did an episode around that so it's hard not to get hard not well, to i, get foil to put I will say
1: but... i am a very cold person it's why i'm a journalist i can i can listen to people's stories <laughs> and just kind of see it from the journalism side of it and not the emotional side of it but the interview with mm. amory today it definitely had me going. So if that, if yeah. that, if, that's, if, that's, a anybody, a yeah, if that, that's a warning for anybody, yeah, if that's a warning for anybody, needs to come from me. Is it even from someone who normally yeah. isn't affected by anything like that? It affected me. Yeah.
2: Just a small little apology to begin with, folks. We did have some minor technical difficulties with the audio from Anne-Marie's recording during the interview. Try to sort it out as best we can, so please just bear with the interview because it is definitely one worth listening to. It's not major, but it is noticeable in one or two small little pieces, so just advance apologies. And with that being said, let's hand over to Anne-Marie. So this week on the podcast, we're talking to Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie. is a psychotherapist, but she has something more to tell about that. She's here to tell her story around being a birth mother. And there's nothing else for me to say because it's her story that we need to hear. So first of all, how are you doing today, anne I'm
0: good, Alan. A bit nervous now, obviously. Um, coming on this, it's all great.
2: Oh, you, were, you were grand there a few minutes ago. You were knocking the fucking crack over. you were slagging <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah. The red light comes on and she goes fucking shy. <laughs> Easy for you
0: when you're used to stage work and all that, and the only stage I've yeah. ever been on is my old stage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, I'm just well used to fe- people slagging me. So last week, obviously, when Peter jumps on, the two boys are fucking Billy Big. Oh, Big-balling I heard the poor autistic man there. Well, yeah. I I pick yeah. on you anyway.
1: You just you just pick you just. You just... Yeah, you when down out.
2: when Peter's
0: out. I'm, I'm not going to say anything that there was their insecurities, that you've more knowledge than them. I'm not going to say anything Absolutely. about that person right. ever.
2: Thank you. We we know that. you don't that.
1: mind him. He just likes being a victim. <laughs> yeah. That's his problem.
2: <laughs> well, I learn from the best. Thanks, Mammy. <laughs> Uh, Marie tell us a little bit about yourself before we okay get so you.
0: I suppose um obviously I've met Ellen and all the different topics um even though we know one another um professionally I had only accidentally come across the podcast and um I listened to the particular one that I came across and I thought oh that's very good so let's go back so I'm back to the start and I've listened to them all and I walk every Tuesday morning and that's I look forward to it and I think I suppose basically Um, it's a wonderful way to hear people's stories but the variety that you have on is just mind-blowing for me and anyone that I can help Um, and I suppose the thing I liked about it it's very real and it's very accessible to everybody that listens so I suppose my story is um, as a birth mother and I suppose like anything you have to go back to the start so Mm -hmm. I was living at home with my parents my two brothers and two sisters and they were married and I was always a bit on the wild side but I found out years later I was dyslexic so I was always the joker and the crack and the one always up for the mess and, and the whole lot and um like well, to you well, you find,
2: find that out? I, do you
0: know what Alan it was probably I worked with um a company in Kildare Town that looks after kids and listened to the occupational therapist talk and I thought oh kind of me so like and then when i went to college doing emails or doing letters it would always take me ages because i'd have to go back over and check at a whole lot and um, and i suppose then when i looked into it a bit more just reading online and stuff like that i definitely like so it's like deflecting my would be always having the crack always messing and i deflect from everything so it's a defense mechanism mm-hmm. really that uh, happened so at 18 i was going out with this guy for three years uh, madly in love absolutely madly in love we didn't um, know a lot about sex back in those days. Um, probably at the age of 16, I was still climbing trees and out messing and, you know, doing the whole lot. Didn't know a lot about sex. Still being a girl. Yes, lawyer. didn't, wasn't, wasn't educated a lot about it, you know, periods and stuff like that. Wasn't told about it. You were, you know, there was your central tells and off you go and get out. So didn't mm-hmm. really know a lot about it. So anyway, I suppose we discovered sex. Um, didn't happen a lot of times. And lo and behold, I found out I was pregnant. I was devastated. And my boyfriend at the time said, Look, sure, if we say nothing, it'll go away. So that'll tell you how innocent we were. <laughs>
2: that's that's a new contraceptive method. I've never heard that one, Amory. Pretend it's not there. <laughs> I tried it with Cameron. didn't fucking work.
0: <laughs> so I suppose that was kind of difficult because um um you know, back in those days families, you know, my dad um, was a good pillar of community and stuff like that. So I didn't know what to do. So I had this friend and, um, in inverted commas that I cried one night and told her what happened. And she said, she promised me she told no one, but she told her mom. So her mom then told my mom and then, um, she told me, she told my mom. And then I rang my boyfriend and told him, um, what happened and he was very upset and they had to tell his parents. So the heel of the hunt um it was decided by mainly my boyfriend's parents um that we weren't getting married and that I would have to go away. So he knew a friend, um a friend of his who um, had another friend was involved in pro life and she lived in Clamel. Um, I'm from Tipperary. She lived in Clamel and I had to Uh, meet with them and she was organising to go away through Cura so Cura for anyone that doesn't know is a Catholic organisation and they would have families that would um, offer their home to unmarried mothers to go and stay with them and in return the girls would be, well from my story would be, you know, cleaning, cooking helping out uh, little kids, the whole lot
1: Kind of live in help or nearly a bit of a maid is secure still around, Anne Marie? Um, you know? It
0: is, Cameron. It is. What? It is, yeah. I looked it up yesterday. It's still around. I'm not sure to what extent they did it because this kind of podcast happened lastminute.com, but they're still around. I think they started Cameron in 1977. So it right, was right. basically you were really, the crux of it is you were sent away. So with the result, you no one knew you were pregnant. You went away. For some girls that I would know, you know, maybe there would be letters posted from France or whatever, the Ugandanian or whatever. Um, and I know there's a lot being around the the Madeleine launders and that. But for me, for me personally, it was a very lonely time. I will never forget it in my dying day. Um, the first family I arrived at were lovely. It turned out she was an alcoholic and started to kind of use me as a scapegoat to go to town. So I rang my brother, cried, and they got me out of there. And I went back to the original family that organized me to stay. And they were lovely, really nice. Uh, but you're very alone, extremely alone, sitting in your bedroom with a bump. Um, I absolutely fell madly in love with the baby inside me. I was, I loved it, cuddled it every night, you know, because you weren't allowed outside of the, floor, the bedroom while I was in. So I was then transferred to um, Waterford in January and I landed with another family that was absolutely amazing. I was still friends with him to this day, but unfortunately he was an alcoholic and he would have friends coming around and I would be extremely nervous in my room. Not that they would do anything, but I was nervous. So I used not sleep a lot. I'd be in my bedroom a lot. Um, Um, And it was nothing really in the sense that they were doing wrong. But I was extremely nervous, extremely nervous. So I had quite a couple of like kidney infections and stuff like that up and down and which would end up in hospital. But I was always shunned off to the corner. So no one would see you or, you know, you were damaged goods and stuff like that.
2: This is due to being an unmarried mother.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I then was introduced to a social worker who was seemingly an in inverted is going to handle my case uh, what case I didn't know that was um, years later I found out the social worker I was with who's still alive was never married or anything but from day one I met her um, the thing that was told me was that there is under no circumstances could I look after a child and um, that a child needs two parents and that under no circumstances could I look after a child so from day one now that i have the 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 wording and the voice for it i was manipulated into thinking under no circumstances could i become a parent and i would have been extremely extremely selfish if i even thought of it. and if i loved my child if i loved my child the most important thing that i would give that child to parents so with carrying my baby i was quite big he was nearly nine pounds didn't know really what was happening to me. Um, you know, the body changes that you would have. My breasts getting big, my tummy. I didn't know what was really happening. No one explained to me really what was happening. So I stayed there with that family, cried a lot, missed my family a lot. They were in regular contact with me. I had a really good family. I know some people might not believe that, but I did. I had extremely good brothers and sisters. But they were at a loose end because... My father definitely was a pillar of the community and I would have let the family down. So they thought nobody knew, but obviously because my friend commas knew, obviously I'd say the whole parish knew, but it didn't matter I was away. So it came to come into labour and the lady I was staying with, she had a very bad heart condition. So I went into labor during the night and I wasn't she wasn't allowed to come in with me because of her heart problem. So I was inside um in a hospital. And in whatever it is imagine if you go through the front door and to the right was where you had your baby and the nursery and the kitchen and to the left was where the, the labor wards were and where you had your baby or when you, you know, if you were waiting to go in to have your baby or you're in for complications, you were there. So I went into labor and anyway, I went in and all of them that was there, the first thing that was told, this child is going for adoption. So went into labor anyway and I was inside in the labor ward and I was screeching I was 18 years of age didn't know my legs were up in stirrups didn't know what was happening to me what was going on and the matron came in and slapped me on the bottom and said stop shouting like that you have got yourself into this situation young lady now you'll get yourself out of it so Jesus um, Christ. it was horrendous and when he was born I had 63 stitches both internally and externally from the birth and um, no one congratulated me. Um, it just happened. He was born at eight minutes past eight and the, the nursing changeover at eight and the girls that came in, um, they were in for the end of the birth and they put him, my son up on top of my chest and the matron came in and roared, get him off heart, He's going for adoption. Um, I was just left there. I was, whatever was happening, the afterbirth had come. I didn't know anything about that. I just knew I was extremely emotional. I was extremely sore. Um, Nobody asked me, was I okay? Nothing. So I was taken back to the ward to where the ladies are waiting to go in to have something done. Under no circumstances was I taken up to. Where the babies, where the m- mothers of the babies that had their babies gone up, so I went back and I just had a garage to ring my parents and I rang them and told them, and my sister and my mom came down that night and that was lovely, and the following day I braved it, no matter how sore I was. The social worker came in, and I was so excited. I just want to show her my baby. I said, I just want to show you, he's gorgeous. So I walked the whole way up to the nurse, up to the to the nursery. Picked him up. She was outside and I showed him. She came back with me and I bawled crying. I absolutely bawled. Never asked me, was I okay? And thing, she left. The following day was, um, that was Wednesday. The following day, my brother and his wife came down. And again, I was, come up and I show you. He's gorgeous. And I went up and showed him. And I came back down and I bawled. And the matron, they went and the matron came in. And I was in a six bedroom ward. And she pointed me and she says, you're barred from the nursery under no circumstances. Are you allowed to go up there anymore? And that was end of story.
1: Amory, can I just ask this this whole endeavor, this is all organised by the Catholic Church, is it?
0: Not really organized by the Catholic Church in the sense, um, Cameron, but the organization was curious. So it would have been really the Catholic Church would be behind the social workers coming in mm. and all that. You know, they probably say they weren't but they were with the HSE or whatever it was back those. But it was never you were you were never they would have a fair bit got to do with it. I mean, because I, I, listening to a lot, like, and everyone wants to blame the Catholic Church. Yes, there were. But now that I'm a more accept, not now that I'm more of an understanding of what happened, Cameron, mm-hmm. like the doctors knew, you know, your local GPs knew, the people in the community knew, the guards knew, you know, nobody stood up for you. And I think the hardest point with because when she barred me from him, you're supposed to stay in hospital for seven, ten, seven days? No, I was was born on Tuesday. Yeah, seven days. And my dad was off on a Sunday. And I had asked, could I go home on the Sunday? Could I go home on the Sunday? Because my dad could pick me up. And she very reluctantly let me home on the Sunday. But my dad and my family thought, my dad had surprised me when I was coming home. So I was all excited I think my bedroom was going to be done up so excited Jesus you know go back to my bedroom and all this and when I came out my dad had bought a new car to bring me home and we sat in the car going home my mom sat in the front of my dad and I was my dad's girl I was always a real daddy's girl I carried the water when he was hurling managing teams I was a real daddy's girl and still was but he just didn't have the emotional tools to deal with what was going on here was his baby and didn't know what to do so we listened to a match the whole way home so my son wasn't spoke about at all um the following Sunday I didn't go to church in my parish I had to go to another church and I came down from Holy Communion and hadn't realized I had a dress on me that my breasts had leaked but no one ever told me that this happens or what happens so I didn't know what was going on with me and um, mm. it was traumatic from the sense that no one congratulated me that still sticks with me big time like I'm a mom mm. but no one congratulates you
1: and you went through that whole kind of traumatic experience anyway just for nothing pretty much
0: and like I loved him I couldn't tell you the love I had for him it just oozed out of me in every section but no one allowed me I was from the minute and even before I left the hospital, I had to meet with the social worker. And I was, again, now that I have the word manipulated, to say, under no circumstances do you ever, ever contact that child. Because you would be so selfish of you. If you really loved your son, you would not contact that child. Because that child needs to be having two parents and happy. And if you really, really loved him, you will not contact that child. So you were told to get on with your life. And this was a thing that was stressed out a lot. Now, I don't know how anyone can go on and get on in your life. It'll go to, with me to my grave. Um, I came home and I was told that the adoption, I would get a letter at home to say when I have to go and sign the adoption papers. And that I would be given one photograph of my son. So I had him the 20th of February. And then in April, I got a letter to go to Washford to meet this particular person who I never met in a hotel and I had to say what I was going to wear and I said my sister and my, her friend dropped me down so I went into the hotel and I sat there and this lady came over and asked me was I am Marie such and such and I said I was and she had a gentleman beside her and she said can't remember his name so I'd say this is Alan Clark and um, he's the peace commissioner whatever so he's charges 20 pounds before they even sat down she was looking at me as if you sure you have the money? So I handed over my £20. I They sat down and they never asked me how I was. Was I okay? The questions I was asked, are you under the influence of alcohol or drugs? I said, no. Are you relinquishing this child to adoption? I hesitated and I said, yes. Sign here. They got up and left. And I was left there.
1: Without, Jesus
0: without, Jesus without are you okay? How did you get here? have you lived home nothing no there was as much emotion in i don't know what a stone so it was from that point of view the adoption was brutal there was no supports there was no support anywhere i wasn't offered supports i wasn't told where my son was gone um, i wasn't given any information i remember from that day on Every boy that passed that looked at his age, I nearly died. Um, Christmas was always troublesome because um, both my sisters had boys at that stage, one a year older and one a year younger, and they were just amazing to me. They involved me in absolutely everything. And then when my brothers have their kids, I was involved in everything, which was amazing because while it was amazing on one side, it was heartbreaking on the other. First Holy Communions, Confirmations weddings I'm they tell me I'm the favorite aunt I'm a great crack with them I love the bones they have in my nine nieces and nephews absolutely adore them there's nothing I wouldn't do for them um but they're not mine and the love that you lose and another side of it was that um a lot of it is I suppose that I'm blessed that I was able to in latter life I never, never spoke about my son, very seldom because of being how selfish it was. And I didn't want anything to happen to him because he came first. And I lived in London for 10 years. And when I came back from London, i sorry, just to go back the year I, I had my son in, in February. I split up with his dad in July. I was heartbroken. And the following March, my mom got sick with cancer and died that August, and then there was only myself and my dad. And then three months later in November, I found my dad dead in bed at home. So I had so much losses, but no one asked me besides my siblings, how are you doing? But they were grieving as well. They lost their <clears> parents <throat> the exact same way. Um, but definitely when I would have been at parties with my families and I'd call in, I would have been an absolute pain in the ass. I wanted them all to know how much I was hurting and you know I was just so hurt and angry and scared and fearful and 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 one of the things as I said to Anna, when I did my thesis I my thesis was the effects of relinquishing a child to adoption for birth mothers and two things that goes up is shame and guilt the shame was horrendous you were tarnished you were damaged goods no one will ever bother you. No one will ever want to go near you. And, and I always, I have a psychic side to me. And I always thought, how come no one ever says that about his dad? His dad went on, lived at home, got married, had kids. No one ever said to him, you fathered a child. So it was always the woman that held that shame for so many years and I just wish I had the knowledge back then that I had now that I'm not damaged goods by any means I'm an extremely good kind person I'm extremely I'd be lucky to be to be part of anyone's life but because society made me feel so shameful because I had sex outside of marriage and lots of times we didn't know so I never really spoke a lot about it because I was always warned that you say anything you know your baby you know don't hurt your baby you know all this and the shame and you'd be guilt and all this and in 2006 I went to a therapist and well, about 2005 and she said to me do you know when she says you're allowed a picture letter of your child and I said no I nearly had a heart attack I said are you for real I love him. I'm not going to harm him or have Anton got to do. Jesus, no. We were told. She said, no, I'm. Free. You can. So I went about looking for my not to interrupt his life because I loved him so much. I did not want to interrupt his life. That's all he knew with his mom and dad. I would have no problem with that, but just to be part of it, no matter how small that was. So I walked the streets of Limerick in the spin and rain, and no one knew where I was trying to find this agency that gave my son up for adoption that did it and um, i eventually found a social worker and she was more interested in um i've only got 10 minutes now for you so do you know anything i said no i was told nothing oh god it's a bit of a needle in a haystack isn't it so yeah i'm kind of busy here she was looking at her watch i'm kind of busy i need to go um I really wanted to say to her I've travelled down on the train on my own I've walked the streets in Limerick to find you it's taken me hours it's lashing out of the heavens I have to get back on that train and you're telling me you have to go home but I didn't say it because I didn't have the balls because you didn't back answer in those days you were wrong Mm -hmm. you were shameful you were guilty you were an unmarried mother how would you have a voice so I kept with her even though I didn't particularly like her because she wasn't very nice. Um, She was very erratic, and I was aware of that. And she rang me one day to tell me that um, she thinks she found where my son was adopted. And I specifically said to her, I do not want to interrupt his life. All I just want to know that he's alive. And I think people don't get this with adoption. So, you know, when you hear, you know, Georgia Dollard and all those poor girls that went missing... And people worry. I suffer that for years. I'm not saying it's in the same category. I didn't know where my child was. No one told Mm. me. I didn't know whether he was in Ireland, whether he was in America, where he was in Australia, where he was in England. I, I, I never knew. I never, ever knew. That was the pain. I never, never knew where he was. I loved this person so much and I never knew where they were. So when I eventually got, and we did, make contact and they did make contact with his parents and they did send me um a photograph letter they call it so it was like color of his eyes any allergies and his parents put in three pictures of him and when it arrived I couldn't open it I had to ring my sisters and say come in I couldn't open it I was so oh my god this is him this is him I don't have to look anymore I know I know what he's like and one of the biggest fears for me as a Bart mother was if he died and I didn't know he died, what was going to happen? I could never grieve him. I didn't know. So I got the pictures and that was fantastic. It was absolutely amazing. I just amazed. And obviously they didn't know my address and I didn't know theirs. And I sent back, I sat down with a bottle of wine and 20 cigarettes and I wrote a 77 page letter to his parents saying, I didn't want to interrupt their life. I just wanted to know that he was okay that he was alive and that if they ever needed anything I would be there but I never wanted to interrupt their life so I don't really want to go in too much about my son because that would take up a whole show in itself but we have made contact and we have been in contact and it has been up and down because there's a lot of senses that people don't realize when the adoption happens so when you meet your son and everyone's going your grand now life's great (sighs) no not Mm. at all totally different there's lots of stuff that goes on there that is really really difficult um but I wouldn't change it for the world but I suppose it's hard not to talk about this because I want to want to talk about something else but I have to tell you about the first day I met my son so Mm -hmm. um, and this is where I probably get emotional but anyway so I was living up here and I we'd arranged to meet she was very erratic as regards our arranging to meet I will never forget it I thought I would end up and she, she, she rang me one day and she says, oh yes, he's dying to meet you. He's down in college in Cork. So can you do Wednesday? This was Monday. I ran into the office to my boss. No one knew what I had a child at that stage. And I said to him, I have a really, really important family. Please, could I take, could I, could I, could I take Wednesday? Just go, he says, do whatever you have to do, go. Um, I was blessed to have him. I'd love to mention him because he was amazing. But anyway, I won't because it's not fair. Um, and he was in a big company. Like he wasn't just a single man or, you know. And just a lone boss. But anyway, so she rang me then. I was all excited. I rang her back and I said, Yeah, I've got the day after She says, Oh, by the way, I've been in touch with the parents and they don't really want to meet that way. No one has met you. So maybe I'll meet you first. So I said, Grant. So she said, Can you meet me on Wednesday? And I said, Grant. So I drove from Kildare to Ross to meet her at McDonald's. She was 10 minutes late. I was as near I was off the cigarettes. I went back on the cigarettes that day, needless to say. She met me there and, oh, hi. No cuddle, no hug. Now, I'm a very emotional person. I love, I'm really touchy-feely. And I gathered that she wasn't like that. And she said, um, okay, so you don't look like a monster. and no, she said, I have a hair appointment, she says, that I need to get back to in Limerick. So she says, so you're doing okay? And I said, Grant. And I drove back to Kildare and I went back to work and wasn't able to talk about it. So anyway, I knew. You she,
2: she said you didn't look like a monster?
0: Yeah that's what What she said so she said because her parents said no one had met her so she met me she said ah she says she don't look like a monster at all she said it quite jokingly but it didn't mean that to me so she left and i knew i had to keep her sweet in order to get the final product so we did arrange to meet on a saturday down in cork and the night before i came down home my sisters were there they were taking me down and a very good friend of ours a neighbor came up um with a beautiful card and some money to buy herself a drink but anyway so never slept that night and the first thing I did was go down to my parents grave and you know just to say look here's the next chapter now I'm getting to meet my son and I'm so happy and blah 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 so we went to meet him and we were to meet at two o'clock and my sisters were outside in the car and one of my sisters was saying don't be smoking Let him smell the smoke off you don't be doing this and I'm the baby of the family but you know and it was quite funny and they were so nervous as well So anyway, I said, it was just literally 5'2", and I said, I'd go into reception and wait. That's where we arranged to meet. Now, we had spot photos, so he knew what I was like, and I knew what he was going to be like. So they were outside in the car, and so back in those days, phones were like, you know, big fucking, you know, yolks inside your pocket. So my sister, there's a car pulled up, and there's a young fella going, I think it could be him. I hope you're not smoking. They were so nervous. So he walked in, and I just... I fell in love and I had warned them to tell him that I'm a really emotional person, huggy feely. And we just hugged and hugged and hugged. And I just, you give a baby away and you get back this man, a 19 year old guy that I just loved. You know, it didn't matter what he looked like. It didn't matter what he wore. It didn't matter. He, he was my baby. He was, you know, and that's something that you have to get around. But if I could bottle that first meeting there would be no unhappiness in this world. None. So that was lovely and we kept in touch and that's been that. But in 2006, I met this lovely lady and she told me about Bernardus in Dublin and they do post-adoption. So they do these courses for birth mothers and they run them twice a year, once in the spring and once in the autumn. And 10 ladies would come together and there's two social workers up there, Patricia Hennessy and Christine White, who were just beyond, beyond, beyond amazing ladies. Um, And I rang and I got on this course. And that was the first time I was going to meet someone that was in the same predicament and position as me that had given their babies up for adoption. And little did I know now that how many women went to that course. So... (laughs) We called ourselves Bar 29ers. We were the 29th group. And that was in 2006. And there's normally... And how,
1: and how, how big was the group? 10, the Cameron. 10 um, on 10.
0: it. So I drove up and I parked in Joey's car park. And they were in Corn Market. Bernardus at that stage. And my biggest fear was walking around. Imagine if someone from home saw me. Oh, Jesus. Imagine if someone was in that group that was from home. Oh, Jesus. Then I wouldn't be able to say what I wanted to say. And oh, Jesus, this. And oh, Jesus, that. And so I did go in and we met these 10 amazing women and we all got to tell our story. And I think it was on for maybe, I think it was seven weeks, six or seven weeks. So we went up every Monday night. Never remember driving up. I hope the guards are from Never remember driving home. I didn't kill anyone, but it was the most amazing experience in my life to meet other people that felt how I felt because people can empathize, but they don't know. No. They don't know. It's like you can't tell someone what it's like to lose a parent if you haven't lost it. You can empathize and you can understand but the the actual feeling of the heartbreak. So that was my journey kind of back to recovery in the sense of recovering, of trying to get me back. The Anne-Marie that was before pregnancy. Definitely, Mm -hmm. I will go to my grave with my adoption. Never, it will never. I've been to therapy for years. It will never cure, but therapy gave me back my life. It really gave me back my life that I am In not, what way? I'm really In the sense that I I felt shameful. I felt I did something wrong. I felt yeah. Yeah. I felt what some you know, when I, I for some reason, Adam, adopted kids come into my life. I've worked with them, I've met them. It just so happens. Mm. And they've never heard of birth mother stories. And yes, in all walks of life, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There is birth mothers that but if if children contact them, they might contact them back.
1: But what children don't mm. understand,
0: it's completely and not all of us, but the majority times out of fear. Out of being manipulated. You're not good enough. What would your child want to do with you? You know, you're you're damaged goods. You know, so they don't, but the love you have. I remember meeting a woman one day, one of the Bernardo support groups. She had seven kids to try and replace her first child she thought when she had her next child after giving up her child for adoption that that Mm. would ease the pain for her it didn't she went on and had a second it didn't she got to the seventh and she realized
1: it's not going to work this isn't
0: going to work and i think a lot of it and why i'm so passionate about coming on here because anyone that knows me well enough i'm very out there funny but i don't like the limelight at all And I think they would find this so funny that I'm doing this, but I think I'm doing it because it is such a thing that has been in the news and all that, but people just don't realize the pain of giving your baby away. And I can understand the pain for children sometimes as well. And it is not a battering of parents because every time I met my son, I would never call them by their first names. I would always say, how's your mom and how's your dad? And on my holidays, I went and met my son's adopted mother. I've met her before, but his dad is dead. And I met her and we had five hours together of just two women chatting. So it's not about that. But the one thing I would love to stress is, even if adoptive parents ever listen to this, nobody really wants to take your child away. You're their mom and dad. You're the one that cleaned the bums, wiped the nose. But isn't it wonderful that so many people want to love them? Like I, I I I can't be part. I am Podrick's mom, but I can't be his mother because she she raised him. But I can be Amory, he's good friend. I can be someone that loves him as well, mm-hmm. and that's all I want. I don't want anything else. But I think a lot of it is I never had a voice. We never had a voice to tell us the loss was huge, but no one no one get it. When I would like, um, what's the girl dear to Jacob? Her mom, Bridget beautiful lady actually married me in the registry office in NACE. And I remember watching stuff. I watched all the programs on it. And when they talk about the pain and not knowing where they are, I would just buckle because I never knew where my child was
2: for listeners around the world, Dear to Jacob is one of many young girls that went missing and remains missing in Ireland and every couple of years there's new fresh appeals for information and evidence and stuff like that so uh just to let everyone know who who dear to jacobs is
0: and a lot of times as well it's important like that a lot of people you know i would have heard people saying when and my own nephew has um two stepchildren and i know sometimes his wife put up oh anyone can be a dad or a mom but it takes a real father to be this that really hurts me not because of that i never got the choice I wasn't given a choice. No, society never backed us. No one said to me, "Here, we, we keep your baby. We look after you. You can get social welfare. You can get." We never knew anything about that. No one allowed it. No, we were just absolutely shunned completely. And a lot of families didn't want it. They didn't want the the shame brought to their door. But the year after, like, because my son was only born in 1984, the year after. Lots of girls in my parish and stuff and neighboring were keeping their babies. And my parents had died, so I could have kept my son. This
2: is this is going back to the eighties. Yeah, 80s.
0: and a lot, my nieces and nephews could not believe when I eventually took. Like
2: them. that's Nikki. Nicky Nikki was born in nineteen eighty four. Like this is this, we're going back to that time. Like the way you were talking here, I'm talking. What, what are we talking? Like I'm kind of gone. And obviously, you never ask a lady your age, but I'm like, what, what are we talking here? Early seventies. Some, it, some people.
0: Some people. Alan, I get you for that. You cheeky shit. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, see way to he, <laughs> just, see the way he slipped that in, Cameron. Do you see the way he or slipped did, that
1: in? This is what I mean, okay?
0: He, he, yeah. He, he see, see the way he said that? Him, 76. He that stuff 76, that 76,
2: like, I, I mean, I'm fuck- not, under, not understand. I can't, I, I, I've i sat here, Amory, in silence, and you know, you spoke for, you know, 35 minutes there, and I've sat in both shock and rage. Equal fucking parts, and I can fucking feel it boiling up inside me like of how many institutions failed you one you're talking 1984 you're in school fucking sex education there's none of that you go to the hospitals there's none of that after that there's none of that like so many fucking systems have failed you along the way
0: and there wasn't even a reach out like you know and people want to blame parents and stuff like that a lot of people say to me you'll never get angry with your parents and I said, it, they were a product of their time.
1: I will just reiterate kind of for everyone outside of Ireland, pre-millennial millen- millennial Ireland <laughs> was very um, Catholic religion dominated. And everyone's belief was that of the Catholic religion. So what Anne-Marie is saying here is that her parents, they grew up in a time when Ireland was raised completely Catholic. And so everyone essentially had the same beliefs, that if you had a child out of wedlock, You were to be shamed and it had nothing to do with her parents beliefs that was the entire the entire country's beliefs at the time
0: and that it would be you know maybe looked on them as a thing and more so my dad than my mom to be honest you know um but and and i think that's the hardest part of all because what a lot of people don't realize is my blood is out there do you know there's someone carrying my blood out there there's you know that guy's gonna have my he already has my grandchildren um you know and and
2: What was that like to find Um, out,
0: We were We were back together for seven years. Then we were estranged for 10. And now we're back, kind of just back since this January chatting. So I have a 15-year-old granddaughter. And um, thank God we were together. He's come up on the weekends to see me and Oscar, But the problem was, Alan, I had no boundaries. If he had asked me to meet me in Donegal in two hours, I was fucking there. there. And I didn't Mm. give a shit if a guard stopped me. I rolled him over to get to my son. Mm. I didn't care. So I had no boundaries in. And that can be quite normal when you first meet your child. It's because you're just feeling so guilty and trying yeah. to make up for that. So that was a problem that we didn't have boundaries. But when she was born, um, he rang me and he said, would you like to come down? I said, if, if, if you're great, I would never assume anything. Mm. I was always never assume. I never took advantage, never. And I said, I'd love to, if that's okay. So we went down and I met my grandbaby and Jesus was just so emotional. But he had said to me when he got pregnant, the first thing he said to me, oh, you needn't worry, we won't be giving her away. And I said, I'm said i glad to hear that, I said. I'm glad to hear that, I said. I'm glad to hear, mm. that, mm. glad to hear that. So you, you, they would have a way of hurting you as well, maybe not designedly, but you know there would be things said just little jabs i got the jabs a lot a lot so and like when you asked me the question there about therapy what did therapy do for me therapy for the first time in my life and i'm 56 alan
2: (laughs) (laughs) i would have said 45 i knew i I just knew you weren't my age (laughs) i thought maybe a year older
1: Oh, well, you're really backtracking here, aren't you? <laughs> it's not like a while for
0: 58, Cameron. But anyway, um, so, I, yeah. So, look, that's my story on being a birth mother. Um, I suppose one of my fears was coming on here. I was actually asking my own therapy today. And he said to me, what's your fear? And he said, some people are like it. Some people won't. And I said, you know what? I'm old fashioned. I see the backlash on social media, I said. And I said, I don't like that kind of stuff. I said, I really don't. Because I said, as far as I'm concerned, when I see social media, and I'm on it, I said, if you can not say something nice, don't say something at all. And if someone does something and it's not the way you do it, so be it. Just, as you always say, if you can't be, you know, nice, just be nice.
2: Can I go back to something? The, the first thing that struck me, Marie, and I know, we're, I know we're going back right to the start here, but you had said, you know, you were madly in love. You were, you were with this person for three years. But you said his parents decided that you wouldn't be getting married. What was that experience? Like? I haven't
0: met his parents. His parents decided a lot. So I don't want to get too much into it in case anyone's listening. No,
2: Mm. well, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. They would have
0: been seen as very wealthy, Mm. um, extremely in the public light, and amazing, amazing people. And they turned their back completely on me. But I was a very proud woman, even as a young girl. I I was very adult-sized, very young, very young. Even though I was a messer, I was adult-sized, unfortunately, very young but never once did I look for one thing from them or ask them for one thing. They never offered? No, but I don't care because I wouldn't have asked. Um, no, it was to get me out of the way. And I remember years later going down home, every time I'd go down home, this was prior to therapy. Um, every time I'd go down home, I would be nervous as hell, if I especially going to funerals, because it would be a big thing down home um, if I met them, how i do. And then I remember being in therapy and I remember going down home to a funeral and I knew they would be there, and I had worked hard on myself, and I dialed myself up, and I went down, and I saw them, and I was with my sisters, and my sisters are down home, they know them, and she shied away behind her husband, and went, and mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be the bitter person about it, to this day, if it's something that hurts me, is that, that's their, I was carrying their first grandchild,
2: and they were also carrying their shame. They were the one that forced the situation.
0: So, and, and and I suppose a lot of it, Alan, I was nervous about coming and doing this as well. And I'm being honest because I'm a psychotherapist and I thought, you know, are people going to look at me different, treat me different? I, I just don't want to be treated any different than I am. But right. I do believe it's a story that needs to be told from the heart. Yeah.
2: And not just yeah i mean, i have worked with I've had a lot of clients that have been adopted, and obviously identity and stuff like that is always is always a thing, and whether they want to meet the parents, whether they don't want to meet the parents um was it just going into therapy that kind of opened it up of you know you're allowed nearly kind of given permission to feel what you were feeling that prompted okay well after all this time I'm going to I'm going to reach out
0: and just if there is any adopted children listening Bernarda's that run the post-adoption course they also run adoption courses so for children who are adopted and I would highly recommend it I've said a few people that I've as I said came across my way highly recommend it it's amazing because they get to get experts giving them help. They get, at one stage, a birth mother will come in and talk to them and they're, asked, they're allowed to ask questions and stuff like that. And I'm not talking about just like, you know, I'm talking about people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. Um, and the trauma, when I go to those support group meetings, they're still on. I still go. Um, Obviously, with COVID, we weren't able to, but when they're on, I still go. And I still go back to that raw emotion when we go there, even 10, 15 years on. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it is um, our society the way it was, and how, um, and in my friends I know me, I don't like gossip. I prefer to tell a dirty joke than gossip. I try and avoid it with <laughs> laughter. I will do anything. You have to give no, it a no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, And And because of that, that is the reason. Because when you're talking about someone else, always remember this you know if you're pointing at someone else there's four fingers coming back at you yeah you know and and you never know what's going on anyone's door people that knew me and have Mm. met me and probably people that might be on here that know me might be shocked to hear my story but i because you don't know what's going on inside someone's door
1: yeah Yeah. well that that's why we do we do and thankfully Mm. we have a good community on the podcast where a story like this it wouldn't bring up judgment it would more bring up people that relate to it and the whole mm-hmm. point of the show is to get guests on, they tell their story and then others who listen and have went through the same story. They want to talk about theirs and they feel more comfortable. In and it. And you're right. And that's
0: what I said to Alan. That's what I love about the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's something that continuously lives with you. I just give you um, a, a friend of mine, one of my Bernardo friends, I call her a the Bernardo friends. Um, and I won't mention her name, but not long ago, her, her adopted son died who she was in touch with. And one of the biggest things that kills me, she'd been in touch with him. So the death was on our IP. She wasn't mentioned. I'm not, she, I haven't spoken to her about this, but I'm just talking from my personal point of view. The funeral mm. happened. She wasn't mentioned, not forgotten mentioned. About. And even though she's in touch with him, it's not as if she wasn't.
2: Is is that a common yeah. experience? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, totally. the birth mother is forgotten oh, yeah. about. Or, and, but is, but uh, I suppose without generalizing, but we can't help but, that kind of thing of you gave up your baby. Yeah, because you, you know
0: that a lot of people think you see you willingly, you know, yeah. I walked into Alan Clark and I go, There you go, Mr. and Mrs. Clark, there's your baby, on you go. The trauma that was would, behind it, yeah. I will go to my grave and the women, I can't speak for everyone, but for the women that I know and have spoken about, will go to it. Doesn't matter all the therapy you do or anything. The thing the therapy was, was get me back my confidence, it gave me back my self-respect it gave me a place to explore my feelings when something happens like that um of 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 the pain of what giving a child for adoption does so when they would talk about adoption it was always about the adoption parents and they adopt a child so it was always how are they feeling how are they feeling like it's a triad but yet at the same time and that's not true because i met the most amazing adop- adopted parents my best friend is one She's amazing. I have no problem with adoptive parents. But like, you know, everyone just needs to kind of realize that it's about the child and the love of the child. And once the child is happy or an adult child, because even when you're an adult, I'm 56 and I have these emotions. Who would think I'd have these emotions inside me? It doesn't matter what age you are. You are allowed to feel mm-hmm. sad, happy, glad, hurt, mm-hmm. pain, you know. So it is... It's, it's a tricky situation. And it's a lot that people would have said to me that a lot of therapists don't deal with or understand what that pain could be. Like, a, like a lot, of, like I never went on to have any other kids.
2: Yeah. Well, you got there ahead of me. Was that, was that a I conscious was, married, choice? I was married.
0: Um, I didn't get married for years. I got married in, uh, um, in my forties. Well, at 39, I got married and it never happened. Never happened.
2: Was there medical reasons? I mean, you mentioned a traumatic birth, 60 we odd stitches. We didn't go
0: to find out because my ex-husband, we, I'm still separated, but my ex-husband has two daughters So, in the UK. So I would never know, but we didn't go to check anything out. And I suppose now that I'm probably a bit longer on, and now just that you mentioned, I think the reason I didn't go was I didn't trust hospitals or anyone looking at me down there because they destroyed me so much what happens if they're going to do something else to me
2: well i mean that's 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 a hugely traumatic experience in and of itself childbirth at the best of times childbirth and everything that was involved in your own case
0: so and and that's the thing because i love kids and anyone that knows me i just absolutely love kids i click with kids i just absolutely adore Mm. them I think they're phenomenal. No matter what age they are, I think they're phenomenal, their brains and everything. But yeah, so that's my story, Alan Clark and Cameron Clark.
2: I'm at a loss for a like I said, and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't taking the pace of your age, but uh, outside of Ireland, I just don't think people can understand. No,
0: and I think when you think back, when I told my niece and nephews, because I was very nervous about telling them because I adored them and they adored me. And I was thinking, are they going to judge me? Are they going to, you know, are they going to say, Jesus, you know, God, you know what? They were amazing. And I remember one of my nieces to me. Mm. Like, that was only 1984. Are you for real?
2: Yeah, that's... Like, that's Nikki. That's Nicky's age. Mm. Like, you know, it's just...
0: Don't tell him uh,
2: that. I just, I just... I think we just really need to stress that, like, of, you know, this is into the 80s, and this is still the attitude. Alan, I went down... In, a
0: friend of mine was a singer, and she launched a CD and invited me down maybe what maybe seven years ago or something i can't remember seven or eight years ago maybe for her father's um he died of alzheimer's plus for alzheimer's and she had a launch night and she's from home and i went down to it my sister my sister-in-law with we great right night everything was going great i went to go up to the bar and i heard these two women saying oh did you see the such and such girls here tonight and do you remember your one she had the child for your man
2: still Did you feel that as you went back home over the years, Anne-Marie? Were you always walking around with that?
0: Constantly, constantly, constantly. And even, you know, even, you know, I lost my parents the year after my son. And I lost them suddenly. And still.
2: All that loss in such a short time.
0: Nobody, nobody asked me was I okay. Bar my own siblings. You
2: mentioned as well, no one spoke about it.
0: My siblings would now if I was with my siblings, but no one spoke about it. It wasn't spoken about in front of my parents or anything. Never, never. And my my, my, my oldest nephew, who's, they're all my pride and joy, but he's extra special to me. He would have been at home. My mum would have been minding him while my sister was working. So, even, and it was always a reminder. I didn't have my baby. My baby wasn't here.
2: And prior to meeting your son, I mean, do you walk around looking at lads his age?
0: Wandering. Oh, my God. I've I've always... Even when I lived in London, everyone that was his age, I looked, You know, and, and there is... There is the, the day is like, you know, his birthdays and Christmas. But, like, my worst day is Mother's Day. Mm. My worst day is Mother's Day because no one says to me Happy Mother's Day.
1: Yeah, because you were a mother, but nobody really knew it.
0: They didn't. And people were afraid to talk about it. They didn't want to go there. They didn't mm. want to go there. But, like... Did, did oh, you? Oh, I didn't... I, listen i i vomited when i went into therapy i vomited when i went into bernardus i wanted to talk about him the whole time i wanted to talk but i wasn't allowed like i felt i wasn't allowed because it was shameful it was guilt. it was the whole lot but when i eventually did get to talk i vomited listen anyone that had fucking listened to me talking about my son i was ready to tell him and it wasn't for sympathy or it wasn't for oh poor me I'm not that type of person. Twenty
2: years of holding on to
0: it. Yeah, it was. I was a mom. I think that was the biggest thing. I was a mom. I didn't like. I had a dog, and everybody that knows my dog, he died two years ago. He was 15. He was my child. Mm. He, you Mm. know, everyone would. He will do anything bar talk. He was so unbelievable. He was so in tune with me. It was unbelievable. But that was the nearest thing I got to mother, and it was it was a pain in my heart. When he died, it was like losing my son all over again.
2: Yeah. I'm sure, as you know yourself, when we talk about it on the podcast, that any any unresolved loss will be triggered by any other loss. Mm.
0: But now, today, I'm able to sit here and talk. I didn't cry too much. But I was trying to hold it back because a lot of times, and you know, Alan, and I'd say in therapy, I don't see the tears. But a lot of times, people don't hear you when they see tears they want to say are you all right are you okay and and i i wanted to get my story across opposed to cry. Now when i've gone off here i'll have a good old bash it at it. all right um yeah. but yeah. yeah loss is huge 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 and not knowing where they are are they okay are they being loved are they cared for are they minded and one other thing um before i finish up that i'd love to say is i remember
2: that's a great therapist way of letting you, letting you know. I like that, Amory. <laughs> That's the skills of the trade. She's dropping that in there just to let you know.
0: <laughs> I I was just, I one of the things, my son had a particular issue that was going on when I first met him. And the question I was asked was, um, there doesn't seem to be anything else wrong, so maybe it's probably hereditary. Oh, for fuck's
2: sake. Every failing comes back to your poor DNA. And I is
0: unfortunately not in our family Um so and that was one thing that really hurt me mm-hmm. so when there's something wrong I was probably from the birth mother or the birth father or whatever you know mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that there still might there. be or
2: there could still be prevails. It's, still something there. Wrong with
0: you. it's still there it's still there it's still there and they don't realize it that hurts you know, it hurts. It, it, it doesn't matter. And and it, and it is, you know, and yes, I mean, if an adopted person come, or adopted an, an adopted mother or father comes on, they'll have their side of the story as well. And probably the fear of the birth mother coming back. But I always think and I, I always firmly believe I'm a very fair person. But up to prior to this January, when the birth mother stuff came out, this year was the first time that they really kind of gave a birth mother side of what happened. Never before that have I ever heard a birth mother side of it. And that's when my son texts mm-hmm.
2: me. Why? Why do you think? Why, why, why? Because
0: I think they realized that we didn't have a choice. People say you always have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I had no choice. money. I had no home. I didn't know social welfare existed. I didn't know what it was. I had, you know, how was I going to, like, breastfeed? I didn't even know what my breasts were about. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and no one told me. I remember after having him, I went to turn in the bed, and it was like, it was like picking up a a JCB and trying to turn over. My breasts were that heavy, but no one told me why or what was mm-hmm. going on. So they don't, you know, it, it that it, that lack of any kind of care, empathy, and mm-hmm. um, you were just seen as. Unmarried, unfit, unlikable, uncareful.
2: In the mid '80s.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to reiterate. This was yeah, not, yeah, I can, was not, not like long, long ago, ago. You know,
2: because our great our greatest listenership is around the world. It's not in Ireland, like, and we. I, I keep going on about it, but we, that really needs to be
1: to be stressed. It's almost it's, a, this, this a stone ages. age mentality, and this was forty years ago.
2: Emory, as you know, as you listen to the podcast every week and you always tell me that was fucking great. I enjoyed that one. I loved that one. Cameron's doing great. He's not really, but you know. Fuck you. There's many, many times I've wanted to hand him over, Emory, so you know. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> you see him at Cunningham's there one day and you can take him home with you one way or
1: another. <laughs> Hopefully in the way i uh, you'll,
0: you'll, you'll be safe, Cameron, you're alright. <laughs>
2: So that was straight talking, and I need to say this properly, birth mothers, rather than birth mothers, being Irish, as as we would say. <laughs> huge, huge, huge thank you to Anne-Marie for coming on and sharing her story, for being so open and allowing her story to be known, because it's going to resonate with someone else, as it always does. Not an easy listen at times. You would have heard our own silence throughout it. You would have heard myself obviously getting quite riled at the experience and the failings of a system that failed a young girl at just 18. So thank you again to Anne-Marie for coming on and sharing her story. If you'd like to share your story, you can do so. You can reach out to us on the social media channels. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram. That is Straight Talking Mental Health. If you're on Twitter, you can get us at STMH Podcast. That's also the website, STMHpodcast.com. If you want to email us, hit us up with some feedback. Hit us up with a topic suggestion. Reach out to us to be a guest. Absolutely do that. Email us at hello at STMHpodcast.com. If you like what you heard, you can give us a rating. You can do that on iTunes. You can leave a rating per comment or per episode, as well as per the... Podcast itself, is that right, Cameron? Can you, that's right. Can you, yep, you can Correct. hit them hit them five stars. If you believe in episode warrants that, and why do we actually do that? Because obviously, if you're looking something up, we go, ooh, that's got loads of five stars. That must be really good. Mm. And then what happens? Ooh, someone listens to this. Ooh, someone learns something new. And we new.
1: also move up the trending list.
2: And we move up, yeah. So that really helps us. Had a client start recently, who is a client through the podcast, and he said to me, how the fuck are you guys not way bigger than you are? And I said, I asked myself that question as well. Mm. (laughs) and this is where your ratings and your sharings come in so we want to say a huge thank you to everyone that takes the time to do that big shout out to fiona Bryan. he's the dude that hooked us up with the beat that you hear at the beginning and that you're going to hear right at the end here now he is fob beats if you're if you need a producer if you got beats if you got lyrics he's the man to go to we also need to give a big shout out to peter dunn who helped co-found the podcast happy now (laughs) p don't be fucking give us an abolicking (laughs) again like last week no more hardship Huge thanks to P for for helping me get the podcast off the ground and for sticking around for 50 episodes, and I'm sure he'll be back on in a couple of weeks when he gets the time. As usual on the podcast, folks, we like to leave the last word with our guests, get them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings. And marie is going to do that now. But in the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of each other. And marie as you know when you listen to the show, what we offer every guest that comes on, we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings, some motto. Something that they've taken away from this life that they could share with the rest of the world.
0: Please, please, just be careful. You never know what's going on in someone's mind. You know, you might know me, but I might be at a, I mean, I might be at a funeral and that loss is kicking into me because I'm I'm an empath. So I feel that person's Mm. loss because I know what that rawness is. So uh, like, just be kind to everyone else and even if you have an opinion keep it to yourself it doesn't matter and just for the goodness just not it's not for badness it's not blame no. it's not shaming it's just that's life talk. Mental health. Talk. Mental health. Talk. Mental health. the mind is a terrible thing to waste.